The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And uh, one of the things about Abraham that I think we ought to be able to connect well with and identify well with is that uh, Abraham, throughout most of his life, really lives as a sojourner, as an alien in a foreign land. And uh, for most of us here this morning, we live as uh, aliens, not from another planet, but from another country, living as foreigners, travelers, uh, living in many respects temporarily outside our home country. And that was really Abraham's life. And so let's read a little bit. Uh, Much of his story is about his Kind of his, uh, of course, his relationship with God as God is building his faith. And a lot of his story relates to Abraham in connection with his family. Uh, Having a son, dealing with his wife, dealing with uh, these things within his family. But every once in a while we get these glimpses of Abraham as he interacts with his his foreign homeland. And that's the kind of the setting here. So Genesis 21, starting at verse 22. About this time, Abimelech came with Phicol, his army commander, to visit Abraham. God is obviously with you, helping you in everything you do, Abimelech said. Swear to me in God's name that you will never deceive me, my children, or any of my descendants. I have shown kindness to you. Now swear that you will show kindness to me and to this land where you are living as a foreigner. Abraham replied, Yes, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well that Abimelech's servants had taken by force from Abraham's servants. This is the first I've heard of it, Abimelech answered. I have no idea who is responsible. You have never complained about this before. Abraham then gave some of his sheep, goats, and cattle to Abimelech, and they made a treaty. But Abraham also took seven additional female lambs and set them off by themselves. Abimelech asked, Why have you set these seven apart from the others? Abraham replied, Please accept these seven lambs to show your agreement that I dug this well. Then he named the place Beersheba, which means well of oath, because that was where he had, they had sworn the oath. After making their covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech left with his general, the commander of his army, and they returned home to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he worshipped the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner, or sojourner, in Philistine country for a long time. Uh, This passage begins and ends with this concept of uh, Abraham being identified as a foreigner, a stranger, a sojourner. Uh, The official um, Hebrew word for that is a gur, okay? So you guys are all living here as gurs. Gurs, that's the Hebrew word. Sojourner would be kind of the English word. It means to stay for a while or to live temporarily. To be in a place we do not consider our final or permanent residence. Um, And often when we live in a place where we don't have permanent residence or permanent legal status, we are really an outsider. We are an alien, right? And that's really where we are. It's... It's nice because we can identify uniquely with Abraham. 
uh, when you are not a resident alien, we're not a resident citizen, uh, you are vulnerable, right? You are at, at the mercy of your host country. Uh, we have to ask permission to live here. And that's kind of the situation for Abraham. And the story that's before us really lays out how Abraham was able to live as a foreigner, a stranger, sojourner, uh, according to God's purpose and will. And the uh, significant thing is that God called him out of his homeland, his home country, his father's home, to this new and strange place, and he called him to live as a sojourner. And really, for all of us, whether we live in our home country or not, if we're missionaries living overseas, living in a foreign country, the reality is, when we come to faith in Christ, we become, in a new sense, a sojourner, don't we? Uh, we are not... None of us, as believers in Christ, are permanent residents of this earth. Okay? Now, of course, we're permanent until we die. But we look at that as a temporary abide, abode, in comparison with all eternity. Right? We are eternal residents of a much bigger kingdom, of a much bigger place. And so we all are just passing through. But the question is, how do we pass through it? How do we live as a sojourner, as a traveler, as a wanderer? in a way that accomplishes God's purpose. And uh, this passage uh, models that for us well through the life of Abraham. And the first thing that, and I have three simple points. Uh, we want to make a good impression. Okay, We want to make peace, second main point. And third point, we want to stake our claim. Okay, So there you have it in advance, three points. First point, we want to make a good impression. Right? It's always good, especially when you're invited guests, that you don't offend and insult people. Right? Uh, if you're living as a sojourner and you have to ask permission, it's helpful to not offend the, the natives or they may kick you out. Well, uh, Abraham uh, does just that. It says uh, he has attracted the attention of Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was the king in this region of southern, what would, what would someday be southern Israel. Okay, Beersheba is the southernmost point of kind of the border of Israel. And oftentimes in Scripture, they'll use this phrase, from Dan to Beersheba. Dan would be the farthest northern point, Beersheba the southern, so from Dan to Beersheba. So right now, uh, Abraham's living in the southern tip of what would one day become Israel. And um, the, the king of that, local king of that region comes, and he shows up at Abraham's house one day with his general, okay, now, if a king shows up with his general, it means you have attracted attention, right? It means they've noticed you. And one of the realities, when you live as a foreigner, you do attract attention, okay? I, I know when I first came to Thailand, and I had never lived in a foreign country, I had really never lived outside of Colorado for the most part. Uh, I had never lived, you know, in a place where there were really even people of different skin color, and when I came to Thailand, one of the things that instantly and immediately impacted me was I was different. I was very different. I was this big, huge, tall, white guy who just stuck out everywhere. And I felt this huge self-consciousness, right? Everywhere I went, I felt, I don't belong here, right? I don't look like them. I, I can't talk to them. I can't explain anything. You know, I try to order cow, cow soy and I get plain white rice. Right? It took me two years to get past that one. Um, you know you don't fit in and you attract attention. right? 
One of the amazing features of being a sojourner is that you instantly are more visible. Right? You're instantly, uh, you, you draw attention. Right? And that was true of Abraham. He didn't belong. He wasn't part of there. He instantly and automatically drew attention. And uh, the king came to check him out. And he actually had met before. And this is actually uh, a sandwich story. The story begins in chapter 20. First time Abraham moves to this area, if you remember, he encountered uh, Abimelech when Abimelech married his wife, as in Abraham's wife, Sarah. Right, good introduction. Hi. Uh, that's my wife you just married. You know. um, can I have her back now? Uh, that was kind of their start, not so, so smooth and good. Um, but for that and many other reasons, Abimelech had been watching Abraham. And he had attracted his attention. And notice what his assessment is. Okay, he's been watching. Maybe a couple of years have gone by. And uh, he's been observing this foreigner. And notice what he says of Abraham. He says, God is certainly with you. Well, what a, what a testimony, right? God is certainly with you in everything that you do. Right? Uh, what an amazing statement and what amazing witness and testimony for a sojourner. Uh, in our living as sojourners, as travels, whether in our home country or not, as God's children, as God's sojourners, this ought to be what we want people to say of us, right? When people observe our life and they see us and they get to know us, and they may, they may see how odd we are. They may not get our customs. They may not get the way they do things. But in the end, what a powerful thing if they say, we don't get you, we don't understand you, but you know what? God is clearly with you. Powerful statement. That's what he said about Abraham. Well, why did he say that? What was it about Abraham's life that had so impressed him that he was a man who walked and lived in the presence of God? That's what it means to be with you. It means... I see that you live continually in God's presence. That God has his hand of protection on you. That God goes with you in what you were doing. What was it about Abraham's life that marked or merited those words? Well, uh, there are a number of things, and it doesn't really elaborate, but we can kind of hypothesize. First of all, uh, Abraham had amassed huge amounts of wealth. We know that God had blessed him materially. And he had huge flocks, crops, uh, herds, flocks, cattle, slaves, servants. Um, certainly, Abimelech was impressed by his prosperity, by his physical and material success. Um, beyond that, uh, he maybe had just heard word, and in the passage right before this, Abraham, who's 100 years old, uh, along with his wife Sarah, who's now 90 years old, give birth to a son. I think that made the front page of the newspaper. And Abimelech read it and go, wow, that's kind of a God thing. This is a 100-year-old with his 90-year-old wife having babies. Okay, who'd want to do that, for one? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and uh, it, it made an impression. Excuse me. Um, it, it impressed him. Okay? It got his attention. Well, that with other reasons we don't know. All the reasons, but something about the way Abraham lived, something about the way Abraham moved around, uh, made an impression upon Abimelech. Um, I think God calls us to impress 
And as we go and we move around the world, whether it's in our hometown, whether we are sojourners in a foreign land, wherever we're sojourning, God wants us to make an impression. And he wants us to make a good impression. The reality is foreigners everywhere do make an impression. And sadly, we all hear these stories of how many times foreigners have made a bad or a horrible impression in the countries where they visit and live. God calls you and I to make a good impression. And ultimately, we'll make a good impression when we bear marks of a person who walked with God. When people look at and observe our life and see God's touch in our life. Um, we are, uh, as I put up here, we are to impress them with success. Now, some of you are going, impress with success, this sounds dangerous, okay? This sounds a lot like prosperity gospel. Okay, and uh, it could be observed that way. And sadly, I think there is a, a growing movement of people who would proclaim and teach that that's exactly how we impress the world, by being materially successful, by our prosperity. Uh, I had a friend who was a pastor way back in, uh, in a very wealthy part of Denver, and uh, he, he decided that it was God's will for him to buy a Jaguar. Right? And his logic was, well, you know, I'm in this wealthy part of town. I want people to know that Christians can handle wealth, where, handle wealth well, right? And so I really believe it's God's will for me to buy a brand new Jaguar, right? Well, I don't know if it was God's will for him or not. I'm not going to make a judgment on that. But there's a difference between success and prosperity, all right? Very important to sort that out. And the reality is that Thai people are, are not necessarily impressed just with wealth. I mean, they are impressed with wealth. Honestly, I'm impressed with wealth. You know, I see people driving fancy cars and all that kind of stuff. There's something impressive about that. Uh, but nobody marks that as somebody who is touched by God. Because the reality is, there's all kinds of people in the world who achieve great prosperity, and nobody would call them Christian. Okay, nobody would say of them, God is with you. What you would say of them is, well, they're hardworking, they're smart, they're diligent, they cheated well, you know, they... We're good at the whole corruption thing, and, and now they're in office, and they're wealthy, right? And they're prosperous, okay? Uh, nobody says of those people, God must be with them. In fact, often they would say the opposite, right? Material wealth in itself never says you're blessed by God. More what it says is I'm hardworking, industrious, or corrupt. I know how to scam the system, right? Nobody is impressed in terms of our godliness just by wealth. But the flip side is, God does call us to be successful. And I would say that uh, God's presence, uh, well, let's put it this way, God's uh, success, was, success is an evidence that God is helping you. And success means accomplishing God's uh, appointed, ordained purpose. God has called each and every one of us to a God-ordained, God-appointed purpose and will. God wants to do something in and through each of our lives, right? And it's uniquely catered and designed to our own unique gifts and abilities. God wants to use you to accomplish some purpose in his greater scheme and program. Success is accomplishing that God-ordained purpose, right? And most of what God calls you to do is impossible. Okay, how many would agree with that? What God is calling you to do, you can't do. Ever feel that way? Okay, if you don't feel that way, then probably you're not really 
getting God's will. Okay? God doesn't call you to do what you can do without His help. Because okay? God's not glorified in that. God's calling you to do something that you can only do with His help. Right? He wants you to do what's impossible. Right? Uh, we want to do what's safe and easy. Right? To be honest, being prosperous is much easier than accomplishing God's will. Because I can accomplish prosperity without His help. But what God calls you to can only be done when you are empowered by Him, when you are walking according to faith, and when He is accomplishing it through you. Right? God does want you to be successful. He wants you to fulfill that mission and purpose in your life. And He wants to do it by means of His own power through the working of His Holy Spirit in your life. When you accomplish that God-given purpose, that is success. That's being successful. And when you achieve success like that, it always marks you as one who, who walks with God. Right? When you achieve success like that, people will look at you and say, wow, God is with you. Okay? Not because anything you, you do or because you're great, but precisely because of the opposite. They go, wow, he did that? <laughs> Amazing. I would never have dreamed of him doing that. Right? Because I know them, and they're just not that talented, right? <laughs> see, and they go, see, God was with them. Okay, that's Abraham. Okay, see, Abimelech knew Abraham, and he was kind of a shady guy who lied. And he sees what's going on in Abraham's life, and he sees how God is working. He goes, well, I know Abraham. This is a God thing, okay? This is definitely a God thing. God must be with you, because you're not that good, right? That's how we make an impact. That's what God calls us to in the world. Um, we want to make an impression upon people by success being defined as the work of God in our life. great picture of this in the New Testament comes out of, the, out of Acts where, um, where Paul is, is ministering in, in Ephesus. Okay? And... Uh, it says in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 9, it says, But some became stubborn, rejecting this message, and they were speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue, left the Jews, and he took some believers with him, and he moved his discussions, his teaching, to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Okay, so get the picture. Paul is in Ephesus. He's preaching the gospel. He's been going to the synagogue and uh, preaching the word there. The Jews are just causing trouble. And finally, after battling with the Jews, Paul says, why am I doing this? Forget you guys. I'm not messing with the Jews anymore. I'm not going to the synagogue. I'm going to the pub. Okay? It was down the hall to the local lecture hall, translated pub, all right, where real people hang out, and he starts preaching the gospel there. And this went on for two years, so the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Okay? So in other words, God says to Paul, Paul, I want you to do something that you cannot do in your own strength. Right? You're going to make an impression on the world by doing things beyond you. Uh, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and from evil spirits were expelled. Now, a group of Jews were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Okay, so Paul was exercising the power of the Spirit. 
There's always people who want to copy that, right? So they thought, oh, this is cool. You just say Jesus somewhere in there, and whoosh, it works, right? So the seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this, okay? But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, ripped off their clothes, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Okay, very embarrassing. Okay, nothing worse than having an evangelistic crusade and you have to run naked away. Okay, it's just, it's embarrassing. Okay, then, okay, get this, this point of the story. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Okay? The name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but as we live and work in, in Thailand and Asia, wherever it is you work, whatever it is you do, the bottom end result of your being there, your sojourning there, ought to be that the name of Jesus becomes more honored in that place, right? Something about the way you live there, something about the ministry and the way you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, something about the way you trust God to do the impossible, ought to leave an impression with those who are watching you. It says, you know, Jesus Christ's reputation, the name of Jesus is lifted up. It's elevated. It has greater honor and weight. That's why we're sojourning. That's why God calls us out from one place to another, why he leaves us in this place of temporary residence so that through the mission he has given us, the name of Jesus will be more greatly honored. I hope and pray that that for us, for each and every one of us, is our daily goal. Our daily goal, that we live our life in a way that uh, improves the character and honor of Jesus Christ. And the reality is they know. We stand out, we're visible. You know, they know. Uh, you may use code words about where you work and how you work for the club or the f- whatever codes, you know. We all have our codes because we've got to keep it secret. They know. Okay, they know. If you're a Christian, they know. And if they don't know, then you're not being a Christian very well. Okay, if you hide it so well they don't know you're a Christian, why are you there? Okay, it should be evident in our life. So much so that it's bears witness to the fact that they say God is with them. God is with them. Right? That's the Im- impact and impression we should be leaving in the world. Seeking to do the impossible. Seeking to see God minister in ways um, beyond us. Right? Uh, it means to do this well means that we really do need to be, be people of prayer and of answered prayer. Right? If we're not praying for the impossible, if we're not seeking the impossible, if we're not being stepping out of faith to do things bigger than us and praying those things, um, you know, we're not distinguishing ourselves as people of supernatural power. Uh, we need to be learning how to pray and how to access and appropriate God's miraculous work in our life. Now, does that mean that all of us need to be able to take handkerchiefs and lay them on dead people and they rise to life? Well, maybe not. Okay, maybe God calls you to that. Uh, I don't know what this looks like for each of us, 
It will be uniquely distinct. And I'm not saying that all of us are going to go around raising people from the dead. Although if you do, I guarantee it will make an impression. Okay? So it's great. If you can do that, that's awesome. Uh, but in other ways, in many ways, we should do that. I, I have a cool praise report from our trip to the States. And God answering prayer, working, doing things far beyond us, doing the impossible. And one of our goals this past month as we were in the States was to get Emma's citizenship. And as you know, Emma's our little Thai adopted daughter slash granddaughter. And uh, the whole process of adopting in the U.S. is quite complicated. And uh, it can take months, it can take up to two years. Uh, to be honest, it was a rather overwhelming process. But uh, Kashara found a way that we could kind of do this kind of the back door by instead of adopting her in the United States and just applying for her citizenship. So we get all of our paperwork together, we go to the office, and we're there for just a short time, just from Christmas to a couple weeks after Christmas. So we go right after Christmas to the immigration office in Denver, Colorado. We pull up to this huge three-story government office building, completely empty. We pull up, we're the only car in the parking lot. And had we not scheduled an appointment, I would have thought the office was closed. We go into this ghost building, few staff there, we're the only people, submit our little paperwork. And you know, they won't tell you anything. They won't say, yeah, you got all the right paperwork. No, you don't have the right paperwork. Very, they're very reluctant to give information. Finally, I get out of the guy. How long does this process take? He says, well, you know, they take it to this office. They review all your paperwork. They make sure you have everything correct. Maybe in two or three months, they'll process it, and then they'll schedule an appointment, and you come back and have an, a meeting. Okay, great. I'm going, great. That's great. We live 12,000 miles away. You know, we've got to come all the way back again, schedule another appointment, do all this whole deal again. Expensive, costly. So we turn the paperwork in, waiting for him to give us our receipt back because we had to pay a large chunk of money. And uh, gives us our receipt back. He says, you know, there's nobody here today, nothing going on. If you can wait a little bit, we can see if we can do this today. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, I was so caught off guard by what he said. I said, okay, thank you, and started to walk away. <laughs> All right. Well, they could not do it that day, but they scheduled us an appointment a week later. Seven days later, she had her citizenship. You know. And I know, yeah, amen, amen. And uh, I just was blown away that God, it was the answer to prayer. Clearly an answer. Many of you have been praying, lots of people praying. Uh, that's the life of a sojourner. You know, doing things with the power of God that says to the world, uh, you know, we are chosen by God, ordained and appointed by Him, and God goes with us. God goes with us, right? It's not just good luck. It's the hand of God. We went back a week later to get her citizenship um, to finish the process. There were 300 people in that building. The parking lot was packed. We just randomly, God led us there between Christmas and New Year's when nobody was doing everything. Everybody was doing holiday. Had we waited a few days, it wouldn't have happened. God's leading, God's directing. And those things ought to make an impression on the world we live in. So the first thing, make a good impression. Second thing, this will be faster, uh, make peace. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Abimelech comes and he wants, he wants basically to negotiate a non-aggression pact with Abraham. He's threatened by Abraham, right? He says, I don't want you to hurt me, right? You're getting big, you're getting powerful, uh, you've lied to me already and got me in trouble with God, okay? And uh, I don't want you doing that anymore. And he asked Abraham for two things. 
And it's brilliant the things he asks for. He says, first of all, he says, I just want you to be honest with me. Okay. Second thing, I want you to be kind. When we live as sojourners in the world, the world where we live, the community we live in, really they're looking for those two things from us. And I think it's a fair expectation uh, that they get those two things from us, that we act with spotless integrity, right? that we be the kind of people who have a reputation of flawless honesty and integrity. Right? Um, now, that's not easy in a place where nobody else is honest, okay? Now, Abraham had kind of caused some problems for himself because right off the bat he had given himself a reputation as not being honest because he lied to Abimelech from day one. Um, The reality, though, is that the world system is not honest, right? Human nature, we don't trust each other. Uh, If you've lived in Thailand very well long, you know that Thai people don't trust. And why should they? Human nature is not trustworthy, Right? And so when we come into sojourn in a foreign country, one of the questions they ask is, are you going to deal honestly with us? Are you going to tell the truth? Are you going to have integrity? And I really believe that for us to make a good impression, for us to have a good witness, we need to fight hard to be people of spotless integrity. Now, it's not easy here because, uh, because not being honest is so easy, right? I remember one time I got pulled over, my car registration was out of date or something, you know, and... And the guy says, you know, well, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Meaning, you know, you can just give me the money and go under the table or I'll write you a ticket and I take your driver's license and you have to go here and go there and pay this fee. And, you know, it's a whole lot easier to just pay him the 200 baht and be done with it, right? But uh, I didn't do that. It was so tempting, so tempting just to be over with it. But no, I wasted half a day, right? Going through the process. See, we need to be people of integrity. Uh, Everywhere you go, there's always a shortcut. There's always an easier way to do it. But we need to make sure that our reputation is one, that we we are going to be known as those who deal honestly and with integrity. Now, I don't know where you work in the cultural setting you're in, how that works. Sometimes it's it's impossible to be that honest. Um, But I think we need to strive for that, and we need to build a reputation Yes, we will deal with integrity. Secondly, he wants him to be kind. He says, please, I've been kind to you. Please be kind to me. Um, We have to be characterized as we deal with people around us by our kindness. Uh, Sadly, I hear daily stories of missionaries and foreigners whose reputation with their Thai counterparts has been less than kind. Uh, we, we need to be known as those who are gracious, kind, even when it means sacrificing, when it means um, taking the blame when maybe it wasn't our fault, right? Uh, we need to be known as, as kind. We need to look for opportunities to show God's kindness in simple ways. I remember one time uh, I was driving out of our Muban, and the little gate guard guy, the guy that lives up the, listen, the gate up and down, was, uh, was not at the little gate guard place. He was kind of across the street, and he felt bad because I, I pulled up, and he wasn't there to open the gate right away. And he comes just hobbling, lim- limping across, you know, and I rolled down my window. He says, oh, don't, you know, don't hurry, don't hurry, it's okay. And he said, oh, you know, my, my leg hurts. I've got arthritis in my legs, and it's just so hard for me to get around, and it was one of those cold, cold mornings. And uh, so I went on my way. And I thought, man, I kind of feel bad for that guy. 
And so I talked to Denise. I says, you know, we've got these anti-inflammatory pills you can't buy here, these great super powerful drugs. Let's, let's give them some drugs, right? <laughs> so the next time I went through, I said, you know, I got these pills. You just take a couple of these and it'll make you feel better, right? It was a simple thing. It was a simple thing, but huge for this guy. I mean, he was kind of this grumpy gay guy who never really smiled much, but now I'm his best friend, right? <laughs> Why? Because I just showed a simple little thing of kindness, right? Uh, be looking for opportunities to show kindness, to in simple ways show God's love and show compassion. Uh, that goes far. Um, it's interesting, as, as uh, Abimelech kind of says his side of the thing, he says, I've been kind to you, I've been nice to you, I've... You know, I want you to be kind to me. Uh, Abraham comes back with, well, by the way, you actually haven't been as kind as you think, right? By the way, about this well I dug, right? And apparently Abimelech's servants had stolen a well from Abraham. Now, in their culture, a well was a big deal. Uh, It was a place where water was everything, okay? If you had water, you could live there. If you didn't have water... You could have all the land in the world. It was meaningless and pointless without water. Okay? That well was everything. Um, it, I won't go into all the details. They, they, they make a covenant. Bottom line is this. Abraham um, applies for, pushes for a formal covenant. Okay? A formal agreement, a formal covenant, a formal contract. They... they go through this process of assembling a bunch of animals and trade and exchange animals, and they cut a covenant. They probably killed a bunch of the animals as kind of a, a handshake, if you will. And part of the deal, Abraham wanted rights to this well. Right? That's interesting. Uh, anytime we're sojourners, our rights are always up in the air and up for grabs, right? We all know this. We all know how kind of vulnerable we're all, we are. And it's interesting, Abraham's timing on this. Uh, we don't know how long it had been since his well had been stolen, but he doesn't say a word about it until the time is right, right? Until uh, Abimelech's ready to negotiate contracts and agreements. He's like, you want to make an agreement, I'll make an agreement, but here's my side of the deal, right? And he pushes for his own rights and for, for justice and fairness, right? Uh, there is a place for that and a time for it. And it's interesting that... Uh, Abraham wisely waits until his character and his, if you will, his bargaining chips were up, right? Where he can bargain with them. And it's significant that he makes sure that in this contract there's a a clause that says, by the way, this well belongs to Abraham. What is that all about? Well, I think, long and short of it, of course, Abraham's looking out for himself. He's trying to protect his, his investments. He's trying to survive, actually. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think, and this is important, and I think it really is the point of this whole story. Abraham is, is in, in the process here of staking his claim. And you know what it means to stake a claim? Uh, it's, a, it's a term that comes actually from the mining days back in the U.S. I don't know if it has other applications, but I know it from how it was used in the United States back in the days when you could stake a claim for mineral rights. In fact, you can do it to this day in America. There's government land free, and anybody who's a citizen can go stake a claim. And it means you plot out a little chunk of ground, and you say, this is my land to dig for gold or silver or whatever mineral you think is underneath it. Well, uh, 
Abraham is staking a claim. Why is it so important that he get legal right to this well? Well, you know, it's water is important. That's one part of it. But it's more than that. What is Abraham doing here? Notice what it says. It says after they make this agreement and he, he gets confirmation that the well is his, he names the place Beersheba, which means well of oath. Okay, well of oath. It's significant that Abraham names it because you, in that culture you name things that you have right over. Right? He has right over it now because he has a legal contract, a legal agreement that says it's his. Right? Then what does he do? It says, then after making their covenant, Abimelech leaves, and Abraham plants a tree, a tamarisk tree, at Beersheba. And what was this about? Okay? And here's this guy who's a sojourner. Uh, he's negotiating for this well, and then he goes out and plants a tree. Like, is it Christmas time? I mean, what, what's this about? Why, why is he doing this? Well, I think Abraham is, by faith, staking a claim on the future. Uh, he's living as a sojourner, but is this land promised to him? Absolutely, right? Why do you plant a tree? Well, you don't plant a tree if you're not planning on living someplace very long, okay? Trees take years to grow. He plants a tamarisk tree in this dry, arid environment. It would take 50, 60, 70 years for this tree to reach maturity, right? You plant a tree because you plan on staying somewhere a while. And what Abraham is doing here is he's saying, you know, God gave me this land, and right now I'm living here as a sojourner, I'm living here as a temporary resident, but you know what? Someday, this whole region, God said, would be mine. And I am staking my claim here. I am fighting for the rights to this little well of water that nobody cares about on the middle of the desert. And I am planting a tree because I am planning on being a presence here for a long time. And in fact, Abraham did stay in this region for a very long time. And Isaac as well. Um, He's carrying out Fulfilling God's promise, right? Well, does that mean for us that if we're a sojourner, we need to plan to live there for a long time? Well, not necessarily, which is a good thing because in Ching Mai, it appears nobody lives here for more than two years for the most part, right? People come and go quite frequently. Uh, but it does mean this. As a sojourner, we are supposed to be staking a claim where we are. Uh, we don't, we're, we're not here just simply passing through and leaving no footprint behind, right? That's not what it's about for us. It's true that our place here is quite temporary. Our life is racing by, and the older I get, the more that race just speeds up, right? And you just, time goes by. And we realize that, yeah, we are temporary residents on the earth. But while we are here, we are to be staking a claim. We are to be planting trees. In other words, we are to be marking space, claiming land for God's kingdom. That's what Abraham was doing. And I love it ends, this passage ends with this. It says that uh, he, he plants this tree, and there he worships the Lord, the eternal God. First time that phrase is used of God, El Olam, God eternal. Okay, he says, you know, my life may be brief. I'm 100 years old. You know what? I see here my future. I see my son who will inherit this land and my grandchildren. And I see the fulfillment of God's promise that one day this entire land will be a place where God is worshipped. 
And so what I'm going to do today, for my little piece of it, my little footprint, I'm going to make a place right here where God is worshipped. Where the name of God is lifted up. And under this tree, beside this well of oath, I am going to worship God eternally. And that's what our lives ought to be about. By your being here, are you bringing God's kingdom? Are you staking claim that this little piece of influence that you have as a sojourner is growing as a place where God is worshipped? That ought to be the driving force of our life. That the name of Jesus is honored, that he is exalted. That God is worshipped as a result of our being here. And of course, that has to begin with us personally. Uh, Abraham modeled what he hoped would someday be true on a much greater scale. He personally worshipped God. Every place he went throughout the land, he set up shrines, altars, places where he worshipped God. Uh, Because he hoped that in, in the future, it would be even greater, even more so, a place where God was worshipped. That ought to be the number one call of our life. Do we live with such focus, such purpose, such intention that our life is about bringing greater worship and praise to God? That's what it means to live as a sojourner. Otherwise, what happens is you come and go and you do leave no trace. You leave no trace. Because there's only one thing in this world, and that's God, eternal in this world, and that's God and his kingdom. Right? Uh, don't just pass through and leave no trace. That's the big thing in the United States now, to go hiking and leave no trace. Well, that's not the kind of sojourner God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to leave no trace. He wants you to leave a trace. He wants you to leave a tree planted in the name of, in the name of God. He wants to see you touch souls and hearts and lives in a way that draw people to be God worshipers. Right? Let's commit to that. That our lives would be creating places where God's name is honored by our being here. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look at our life and our priorities and our goals, our plans, to be honest about our, our real purpose in life. Father, is our purpose really to to glorify you in all things? Are we really living in such a way that our testimony and our witness, our footprint in this world, is, is drawing praise and worship to you? Are we serious about daily setting aside time and space in our own life, planting a tree in the very soul of our own heart, where we worship you, where we see your reputation and your fame lifted up and expanded. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Lord, we praise you for the way uh, you were glorified through the life of Abraham. Not because he was perfect, not because he always did the right thing, but in the midst of his mess-ups and failures, his heart was to worship you. Lord God, I pray that would be true of us. Whether we're at school, in our classroom, whether we're in our ministries, or in our neighborhoods, or that somehow as we live as travelers in this world, that we would give praise to you.
And may we would extend your glory, your reputation, your fame as the true and living, eternal God who is worthy of all worship and praise. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.